Thanks for listening to Filtered Noise. This podcast is produced on the stolen lands of the peoples of the Kulin Nations, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. As always, my name is Vincent Giles, and Bray Grimes is our co-host. In this episode, we are joined by Mitch Catterall, who has been mentioned in every episode as he kindly allowed us to use his music in the opening and closing segments. Mitch joined us for a long chat about his various projects, his background, his televisions, and all manner of other things. This is a longer episode than usual, but it allows us to get quite deep into his creative work. There are also more swears than usual. We don't and won't try to sell you vitamins or other things. Instead, if you are able, please consider supporting us via Coffee. There is a link on our website. You can also support us by sharing this podcast with friends or colleagues, subscribing, and reviewing what we do. We are still somewhat in lockdown, so we're still recording remotely. For the first time, I won't be back at the end, so thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at filterednoisecast. You can email us on filterednoisecast at gmail.com, and our website is filterednoisecast.wordpress.com. We hope that you enjoy this episode of Filtered Noise with Mitch Catterall. I was like going away from Facebook and I've actually discovered something about it. It seems really fucking obvious, but yeah, right. for me, it's the new, like, I guess, attention to user groups has mm-hmm. replaced forums for me. I used to be yeah. a mad forum dog and used to be active on like 10 forums all the time. And I've just started joining more groups on Facebook and I think they're better than forums. Yeah, it's I like, agree. It's kind of like you get quicker interaction. You're not waiting on some odd looking website for a response. It's, mm. I, I don't know. I, I've actually stopped using forums almost entirely unless I've mm. got like you know, something that I'm researching or like a question or some shit. But nowadays, like if I've got a question about a piece of gear or something software related, I'll just jump onto a user group, just join it, ask a question. You can answer in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so I've, I've started using it for that. Like I don't use it for the conventional, like regular Facebook shit because that sucks. I don't, I I don't actually know anyone in real life that does like, no, it's really odd. I have a heap of people oh, on I Facebook do. that like use it conventionally, but I don't really know them in real life anymore. Yeah, right, right, right. Yep. It's like, feel, yeah. who are yep. you? My long-lost auntie yep. or whatever. Yeah. There seems to be like a few people within the like Melbourne Jazz Unit who like they seem to use it for that reason. It's um, It happens actually a lot more on Instagram, I find now. But I, maybe it's just because I'm paying more attention to Instagram lately. Um, leading into your Instagram, your Instagram's unreal because it's kind oh, of thanks, traverse. Man. Yeah, it's one, the the art on it, and I'm going to use that as, or as the broad term because it's not just music. Yeah. Um, but the art and the, the journey on that instagram this Mm. this is bribery is quite incredible and it's Mm. really interesting and cool um can you tell us about like using instagram and uh how you found that to be a useful medium for you to um sort of tell the story of bribery 
Yeah. So I started up my Instagram account. Um, I actually started it up not that long ago. I was in a, a hip hop duo called Grey Yard and I was the producer slash um, I sung the hooks. I played guitar wrote all the beats, that kind of thing, and um, did a bit of touring. And when we, I think it was when we were touring in 2016, I want to say, we were doing an Australian tour. I, it's around about then when I started up the Insta. Um, hmm. And it kind of – I didn't really know how to start it because for a while I'd been a little anti-socials because in my previous bands before that I'd kind of got burnt out on Facebook and even then like back in the MySpace days as well like it just seemed like the the juice was not worth the squeeze and in the groups I was in I was the one doing all the squeezing and getting no no goddamn juice out of it um (laughs) so I kind of when I moved to Melbourne in 2013 I kind of came in with this air of like I'm abandoning socials because they just don't work you have to really buy into them and sink stupid amount of time in them to make them work so that was kind of my intro to it and then when we were touring I'm like ah there's some funny shit happening we were touring with some funny groups and it was always like meme sharing and ragging and shit on each other and photoshopping stuff so I started essentially doing that with the Instagram and then it started becoming a bit of a a bit of a gear porn page like it was mainly <laughs> shots of my hands playing bits of gear and you know I was looking at other people's Instagrams and they were doing the same and I was like oh this is cool I like this so I'll engage with this um cuz I liked the idea of um putting kind of content out there that that didn't really matter but it still matters it's kind of like I kind of view it as like a little bit of an outlet for something that's not quote unquote serious, but it's, it's still useful. It's, it's got a value, but it doesn't necessarily have a place on a record or something. So then I kind of traversed through this kind of gear phase. And then when I left the, the group, um, a couple of, uh, about two years ago now, then I started kind of looking at it and going, I really like this kind of really glitchy aesthetic and I started treating it a bit like an unintentional art project which I've got I've actually got an arts background I was I was an illustrator and painter before I was actually a musician and just kind of I I actually burnt out on the art world in high school um which is another story on a time won't get too distracted too quickly um and embrace it kind of starting to yeah immediately on a tangent um (laughs) (laughs) classic I started to get into just iPhone apps that could just just change the look of pictures. And like a majority of what I used in the early days was all free apps. Um, mm. I bought a couple of filters and things like that, but I'm mainly using really budget apps even to this day. Um, and it, it kind of, I guess it evolved somewhat naturally from a place where it was just memes and then gear, it became like an audio visual medium. So as you said before, it's, it's kind of an art page now. It's not just music. It's not just visuals. It's kind of, it's slowly worked its way into this merge, which I think that really solidified last year in about January, I was over in Taiwan doing some teaching over there and some production workshops and stuff like that. And I just, I don't know why I just sunk a bunch of time into editing these videos and chopping up these photos and 
putting them in a way that I thought kind of looked visually appealing and it kind of just took off from there. And then I started gigging this new project called Bribery um, in about, I think I started in about April last year. So it's still relatively fresh. It's about a year or so old. And it's actually my first ever solo venture ever. First first ever. And it's my first ever fully electronic venture as well because even in the hip-hop group, I was still playing guitar. So it still had ties back into band work. And this was the first thing that I did that essentially abandoned all traditional, quote-unquote, instruments except for my voice that was the only thing that kind of ties through um and then god i'm really carrying on jesus and then once i started booking shows and wanting to promote them i didn't want to do just general promo videos and posters so i started designing these posters or, or a couple of times i got a mate who's a graphic designer to design these posters but i didn't like the idea of just slapping it on instagram as like here's a poster you know come to the show so i pretty much turned all of the posters into animations um and like messed with the graphics and you know use these free editing programs on my phone like my phone's just poor little bastards just working out overdrive all the time um, <laughs> like doing all these things where it zooms and it scrolls across and it fades into some other shit it's all using free apps because i'm a tight ass and i found that anything paid just had too many features and once i have too many features there's too many options and if there's too many options i just never finish shit so it was like, <laughs> i tightened it right down to these like so now I've got like six or seven kind of free apps, some that I've kind of paid for a couple of filters on, like one was 15 bucks, the other was six. But I'll like bounce one out of that one and into another one, then back into that to get more layers back and all of this dumb shit just to get these <laughs> short little 40 second promo videos out. But it, it, it's become like this own little funny art project as its own. And so it just kind of expanded over time. That was a long way of me saying it expanded over time. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. I, like, I mean, I, we do promo videos for every podcast we record. And yeah. the one I put out this week was so obviously made in iMovie. Like, oh. unbelievably <laughs> low tech. Like, Sick. I, I, was, I wrote this sort of like, sort of Stockhausen-y kind of piece. Well what I would assume is it sounds Stockhausen-y to me yeah. on the OPZ yeah. um, and that's the music track of it and then I just filmed myself warming up a cup of tea in the microwave. Nice. And nice. Then American then, style. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it just went cold because I did that thing where you get distracted and I was, yeah, yeah. So... And that became a promo for our chat last week with no compliments. Um, which, like, I, afterwards, like the first the first comment on it is Vince going, uh, "This video with crying face, laughing emoji." <laughs> Perfect. Which, yeah, which, which was That's me exactly just what you want. Yeah, and I just had that moment of I fucking cooked it, didn't I? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely yeah. cooked the tea, and then it went cold. Um, yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> that's such a good video, though. I love it. Just needs a bit more glitch, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, put some metal into the microwave or something while you're doing it. That'll, yeah, exactly. That'll, that'll, analog glitch. Analog glitch, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect kind. It's the way Mother Nature intended it. <laughs> um, Mitch, do you. I, I've, I've been watching your, you know, 
um, and by watching, I mean, you know, you and I are friends, and, <laughs> and it's like you, you send me this, this stuff um, pretty regularly, but this, this work with televisions um, mm. is fucking cool for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I dread to think what your power bill is going to be like. And Same. So I've got kind I, of try, two... I tried to calculate it in advance the other day. Oh God. I was like, is this going to overload the PowerPoint? But it's okay. <laughs> it's about halfway. Oh, shit. Is that, I don't, yeah. need, don't need three-phase power just yet. <laughs> Can you imagine if you needed to put, like, a 15-amp uh, or steal your air conditioning socket or something? to yep. like be brutal. Um, power all these TVs. But I got two questions. I, uh, one's, a, I guess, a slightly personal one. The, the second is mm. um, more academic in a sense but i'll start with the latter do you do you know namjoon paik the video artist at all uh, i keep getting tagged people keep leaving comments <laughs> about <laughs> namjoon on my page and i'm just like who's this and then as soon as i looked him up like aha yeah that makes sense the kind uh, of yeah. og video artist essentially yeah totally but yeah. also like the og not just video artist but um like television artist using tvs yeah. as the media in their own right, not just... Yeah, it's cool as shit. It is really rad. And some of the installations yeah. is a documentary from the Tate Modern in the UK. Um, right. It's a really bad quality documentary, but it's, you know, it shows some of the works. Cool it's, shit, though. Which is rad. Yeah. But I remember, the, the other question was, I remember you telling me um, a while ago that you have a sensitivity to the frequency of CRT tubes. Oh. How, how is that going for you? <laughs> room full so, of that things. I don't know... <laughs> I don't know exactly where it, I've been meaning to plot out where it is because I've noticed it doesn't um, it doesn't get captured in Instagram videos for some reason. So mm. it must be past whatever the cutoff frequency is for Instagram because it's like when I because I've now the whole TV rig was behind me against the wall. There was four TVs there, but I've now got um, thirteen. <laughs> um, uh, set, up, <laughs> set up in my garage um, and they're all attached to the one PowerPoint on the same power board so it's this really like brutally dramatic almost like performance of itself like <laughs> flicking on the PowerPoint because they're all they've all got their like you know the button on the front of the TV the main power switch is on they're not on standby because mm. most of them I pulled from the side of the road in council pickup the last two weeks so I didn't get any remotes, so I have to kind of keep them on permanently. So when I flick the switch, it's just like, boom, and all these lights flash, and then it just goes, it just has this damn frequency. That it's, it, must be, it must be somewhere above 16K. It must wow. be up that high. And I can kind of, it's like one of those sounds where you immediately get used to it so you don't notice it until you walk out of the room and then you're like, oh, my God, I've got tinnitus immediately. I've immediately got tinnitus. So, <laughs> so I actually was messing with it um, earlier tonight and walked inside and went to make a cup of coffee and I was like, oh, did I leave a TV on inside as well? I'm like, nope, that's, that's my CRT tinnitus kicking in right there. So <laughs> it's like a mosquito just gets ingrained in your brain. Fuck. That sounds awful, but yep. it's, it's hilarious. Dude, I'd love to sample the sound of them all switching on at the same time. That, that would yeah. be a, oh, did I? Oh, that would I'll be a sick percussion sound. Yeah, thanks. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm really curious whether they all operate at different, like, subtly different frequencies. 
or whether they're all the same frequency? To, do you, I don't do you know? know. As I understand it, which is terrible, like I have a terrible understanding about TV technology, but video operates at a specific frequency. Mm. Um, and even like the thing that's weirded me out, man, is that all of the signal that I'm transferring between these TVs is using a single RCA component <laughs> cable, which is just the tiniest, shittiest cable. And I looked this up and I'm on the Wikipedia article, like scratching my head, trying to work out how they transfer colors and synchronization and gen clock and all of these things, or gen lock or gen clock. I can't remember what it's called. Lock, it's lock, got all I these terms that are just so different from audio that it's kind of, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. And even it's got a little diagram of how the, the waveform works hmm. and it's got like different parts of the waveform are dedicated to different colors and it just rocks my world way too much. Like I can't understand it fully all I know is that they operate at a very specific frequency. Hmm. So my my understanding of it is that they must be at least very close to harmonious. Otherwise, it wouldn't be capable of transferring the same colors effectively. Yeah, Unless right. you've got a, a TV okay. that's kind of out of sync and out of whack. Yeah. But um, as soon as you start to mess with the sync, that's when you get all of the fluttering and skipping and all of these kind of glitching effects and you get like slide accidentally sliding images and they kind of jot up and down the screen. You get all these crazy effects out of it, which is super cool. That is, that is really cool. And yeah. you've got CV, uh, CV controlled, right? So now, now it is CV controlled. So I've got two main components, I suppose, to the video side. I've got a, a what's called a video image processor which apparently back in the i'm i'm guessing by the vintage of it it looks like 80s kind of tech mm-hmm. um i got it for 30 bucks or something off ebay it used to be this thing to have video enhancers that just take the signal from your vcr and they make it brighter or they increase the colors or some shit like that like really basic stuff and they were used for you know editing home vhs there's all of this tech out there for peanuts on Gumtree and eBay because the, it's only useful for video artists. Like people just aren't using composite video anymore. Component video. I forget. I forget. It's composite. Or composite. See, I have no idea. I have no that's idea. That's composite. Right? That one's composite. Yeah, it's composite. Yeah. yeah. And component is when it splits into RGB. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, so, so it started off me getting this enhancer or this video processor and circuit bending it. So Mm. essentially just poking around on the logic chip and finding interesting bands, like classic circuit band, like poke around, see if it's cool. Um, And (laughs) found a couple of bands. Yeah, this one's all analog. So you can't like, yeah, fuck it up too bad. So I I found a couple of cool bends and added four homemade Vactrals to it. So they're like really rudimentary cv controls so it's just vectral so it's just an led and a photo resistor mm. and I, I send kind of signal from my um Sinstrom deluge to that because it's got four gate out so i i'm essentially just sending gate triggers and that's it because they didn't respond well to continuous um cv i'm not really sure why i just chose terrible bends and implemented <laughs> it terribly with vectrals but it looked cool enough um and then i added uh audio reactivity to it by literally just adding an audio socket that merges the you'll love this this is this is what i love about analog video 
all it does is it takes the output of the video, like the output um, component, oh, sorry, composite output, and it literally just slams the audio voltage into the positive terminal of it. And the more uh, you put in, it gets these horizontal slits. Oh, which cool. I think they, I think they call it interlacing. I think, yeah, I don't know, right. I'm still learning yeah. this shit. But the harder you slam it, the more it just like brutalizes it into these amazing horizontal lines. And it can get really colorful and really kind of outrageous looking. So that's built into the enhancer. And then just the, uh, oh, when was it last week? I just splurged because so far I've been spending jackal money and like ganking these CRTs from the side <laughs> of the road and all that kind of stuff. I just spent a couple of hundred bucks on a video mixer, the Edirol V4, which is like, it's kind of everyone out there in the video glitch world is just like if you're gonna start anywhere get yourself a video mixer and if you can find a v4 get one of those because they just have so much stuff built into them so they have like colorizing and negative effects and strobes and they have like a t-bar so it looks like you're driving a boat it's like a boat accelerator (laughs) which is hilarious um but the cool thing about it is that it's midi controlled so now i've got a video rigged that is cv and audio reactive on the glitch side of things and now if i want to select a different input device or camera or i want to automate um a colorizer effect or a fade or something like that that's all controlled by midi so it's like i've got three elements of control and then i've got manual control but i've been messing with it the, the last couple of days and i've almost got it to a point where i could probably put the video mixer like under the desk because there's so much I can do with it just based on MIDI. So that's awesome. So that's kind of what the rig is at the moment. And then input devices, I got four um, CCTV cameras that, <laughs> this one behind me somewhere, they're like those old school ones that look like they're straight out of GoldenEye 64. <laughs> that are like a, a white box with a black lens. Like they just look like an, a classic security camera. Um, so they just pipe. Um, pipe composite straight into this mixer and now I've got it so I can switch them really quick so I've got them set up at different angles um, so you'll see on some kind of upcoming streams that it'll just bop around all these different wild angles and automate all this crazy shit via MIDI that is so cool the, the, yeah. the description of the cameras reminds me of you know if you go to Bunnings or I guess J-Car or whatever you can get like the fake ones that are determined. Oh, yeah, the domes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some yeah, of the designs. Go <laughs> Classic. Oh shit. my god. That's Look like that. season one of Big Brother. Yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> Yeah. And the cool you can do like manual zooms on it as well. So it's got, Oh shit. I mean wow. I know nothing about cameras, so I'm just plumbing this, but it's like you've got I'm gonna call it big zoom and focus. That I'm sure they're the technical terms. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I just yeah. kind of, it's just a hacked together rig and That's it's so just fun because cool. it kind of lets me get a way more tactile version of what I've been hacking together using all these ghetto phone apps. It kind of puts it directly under my fingertips, um, which I really like that. I like the fact mm. that instead of waiting, you know, I've got to bounce it out of this app and junk it into this one. It's just like, what happens when I slam it with audio? Ring! And it's like, oh my God, there's some crazy shit happen. It's far <laughs> less predictable. 
and it's like really touchy so like i've found some really cool effects and i've never been able to get the settings right again okay um, that's that's so good that's that's kind of cool as well it kind of reminds me of a modular synth in that way that has no patch memory yeah. it's just like oh my god i'm just going hot for leather i'll never capture this again so hopefully i'm recording essentially and the wild thing is you can like with modular you can do the exact same patch and it still won't be the same yeah that's right because the electrical circuits are warmed up differently and all that kind of shit like yeah and even i've noticed with this one especially with this new mixer which lets me superimpose images over the top of each other or it um does this thing which i'm gonna butcher the explanation of called luma key which is not chroma key which is the thing that's used for green screen luma key is like something else oh my god I'm it, it would so do the same th- it would do the same thing but with brightness or yeah, yeah 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 so it, it like takes the brightest parts of the image and it superimposes just over them so like even in this video at the moment i've got this bright light on the side of my face so this side of my face would get superimposed with this glitch and the other mm. side would kind of be normal-esque so um what that means is that in the rig that i've set up now all of the effects change depend on the lighting in the room so if the lights Very are cool. on oh. the Luma king is going to work heaps different to if the lights are off and if it's too low light and it doesn't capture you see it go from like this weird glitching and it, and it just like it melts it's just like <laughs> not enough light so Luma key is not working and it just switches off and then it's all black and it's like oh shit what did i do and then it's like oh it's too dark and then you've got to like gas the lights a bit or turn up the brightness on on like it's got a master kind of brightness control and then all of a sudden it kind of like melts back in so it's, <laughs> it's bizarre like it i can see why people get sucked into video synths just as much as they get sucked into audio synths because it's like it feels like electricity is malleable but mm. in this way it's like image is malleable so yeah mm-hmm. it's cool, cool shit I God, wondered if you'd no. go down this path. I, I really, I remember asking whether you'd get, get into video art and lo, here you are. Well, I had the idea for it, this idea of multiple TV banks, actually back in the hip hop group um, mm. because the tour that we went on in 2016, we kind of came out of it and it didn't really feel right. It kind of like, you know, what we were making was kind of future sci-fi hip hop of some strange description well, we're playing these shows that were pretty much straight Aussie hip hop, and our our sound didn't match the the rest of the gigs. It just it just didn't match right. Like it was too I don't want to use the term avant garde because that sounds so wanky, but it was too avant garde. It just didn't fit within that traditional format, and I didn't like the idea of like a rapper and a guitarist standing up there like shouting at the audience. It just felt a bit played out. Mm. So worked on this idea of having live glitch and live tvs but at the time i had no idea how it would work and like you know a very simple thing when it comes to glitch is that you can't really do it with modern tvs it doesn't work because all of the modern tvs uh because they've got digitally based systems in it they are Mm. essentially just by by design they're trying to maintain a sync signal as much as possible and as soon as it fluctuates they just flash to a blue screen yeah um uh, and all of the old, not all of the old CRTs, but almost all CRTs are much more flexible when it comes to the sync signal. 
Um, you'll actually see this in the rig that I've got at the moment. I've got a post on Facebook that shows everything kind of like it looks like it's all on fire in the, in the thumbnail. And to the very top right, you'll see one screen that's like grayed out and it's not really working. That's the only LCD screen on the whole rig that I just I, I set up because it, it actually does colors really well. But as soon as you squeeze the sink and push it a little bit out, all the CRTs handle it perfectly, but the LCD just drops out immediately and just has blank screen. Um, so I didn't know that back in the day. So, you know, we developed this plan of having these flat screens and then the band kind of started petering out. So it, it never really eventuated. So I'd had the idea in my head for a long time, um, but just was waiting to see how it would manifest, I suppose. That's really cool. Mm. that's it that's really interesting like um, one thing like it's it's really interesting that um you came from an arts background mm. um and a visual arts background discovered music in one way or another or you were already playing music and like, I, thought I, it cool. it I thought it looked cool as shit to play guitar that's why i discovered music i'm like <laughs> yeah. playing guitar looks cool i'm gonna do that <laughs> yeah, yeah like 16 and, yeah, I think every everyone gets attracted to an instrument for that reason. Like I yeah. got attracted to the tr trumpet because I saw Dizzy Gillespie smiling on the front of an album cover. Yeah, and I was just like, "Fuck yeah, that looks cool!" Like, horn me up. probably, yeah, yeah, give me a horn. And then I got like got into playing guitar because my friends were playing guitar. And then I got into electronic synths because I liked the idea of being able to change something just by plugging something in to another thing, like. Yeah just being able to manipulate sound so easily. So mm. where, with your um, audio setup, what are you using? Uh, so it, it's changed. Uh, in the last couple of months, it's changed a bit. Um, yeah. I was running an Octatrack um, and it was used kind of half as a stems machine and then half as a, like a drum machine slash um, like sample mangler kind of thing. Depending yeah. on what, what I was doing, I've kind of found it um, tricky uh, taking the bribery material out of the studio and into the performance platform because when I made the stuff, I made it in all different ways. Like some of it was made on the OP1, some of it was made in Ableton, some of it was made just by multi-tracking a layer at a time, other was like a single live pass of just awesome shit I had plugged in. So I had all these different methods of putting it together and not a really clean way of taking it back out of the studio. Because to be honest, when I was working on this material, I had no real end goal. I was, just, I was just making tunes. And then when I started looking at them all, I went, oh, this, this like a, there's a theme. Um, and it's, it's kind of like pulling through these songs in some kind of strange way, I suppose. Um, and then it was a matter of like, how do I get these differently made songs out into a performance platform? The obvious way would have been chucking it in Ableton and stemming it out and using MIDI controllers, but I'd done that with the hip-hop group and I kind of burnt out on using computers for the performance because, as I kind of mentioned before about limitations, there's too much shit in a computer. I'll just, I'll just end up playing video games. I'll just, I'll just end up playing... I'll end up playing yeah. Borderlands 2 again because I find a find a pirate of it and just decided to play it some more or some bullshit like that. <laughs> and I also started, I'm definitely not anti-laptop or anti-computer for stage, but I did start getting really sick of rocking up to shows and just seeing Apple logos. And I'm like, oh, this is so uninspiring. 
especially coming yeah. from a guitar background where I liked the fact that generally speaking on the circuits that I was on at least um, people all had different gear and it was an interesting thing that people had different tools to maybe come up with similar songs or different songs or different sounds or similar sounds or whatever. But all of the tools were like unique to the person. And I took a lot of kind of pride, I suppose, in having an interesting guitar rig. And I wanted to kind of carry that through into the electronic rig. So it started off trying to make the Octatrack into a stems machine, which it kind of worked at, but I'm not sure if you've used much of the electron gear at all, but the, the, the setup of them is such a gigantic pain in the ass. Like, I knew this going into it and it, I'd read all these things for years saying the Octatrack's really dense. Um, you know, it takes a lot to get your head around. I'm like, come on, man, I teach this shit. Like, I'll get <laughs> And I swear to God, the first six weeks, I was literally pulling up my hair. Like, I was literally like, Jesus Christ. Like, why, why is this so dumb? Like, the fact that it's a sampler, right? It's called Dynamic Performance Sampler. And it takes something like seven or eight button press combinations to sample the input. Like, how is this so many things just to sample what's coming in? So, it's so funny that like the teenage engineering equipment, which is like is the complete so damn cheap. Yeah, it, like one thing that, uh, yeah, like OP1, but even like a pocket operator, which costs like 99 bucks maybe. Yep. The, it's, it's so much easier to fucking sample. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's the plug. Um, but it's so much easier to sample using one of those yep. than it is to sample using some premium, really dense, as you say. Yep. I feel like density is and like one thing that it stands in the way of, and I find this in your music in particular, is there's like whimsy. I don't know how to describe it any other way, but it's like there's always a sense of fun enjoy and yeah. like even though it might be through like uh struggle in terms of cv mm. um but like there's all like this uh there is a sense of um low pressure all these things that you've just described mm. that that are in mm. it and and uh, yeah hearing hearing your experience with an octatrack or any other electronic gear for that matter I totally get it. So yeah, yeah. yeah it so felt like I was constantly, um, constantly overthinking it with the electron because you had to think about the way you did stuff. Once you had it lined up, like once you had a project set, and I knew where the parts were, and I knew what patterns were playing what, and I'd finally like laboured over putting it together, then it became a really expressive tool. And then it's like, I mean, people talk about the crossfader and the implementation of it. I, I don't understand how no other company hasn't just ripped it off because it's the best thing ever. It's just like, wait, I hold this button, I change any parameter, and then I just blend across to it, and I can have eight or I can have 16 variations of that. So it's just like, all right, I want this one to have pitch and reverb and delay and all these EQs. Just hold the button down, turn it, and you can instantly change it. So it's like an instant multi-effect that becomes really, really dynamic. Um, and you can you can probably hear in a bunch of my tunes that I've put out, um, especially the track that I've put out really recently, the reverb burst to go, like it has this burst of reverb that cuts through. That was always the Octatrack fader attached to essentially a master reverb that people hate the reverb built in but I liked it for this splash like 
it didn't sound luxurious like a Strymon. It sounds like this really boxy, crappy reverb, which for me, whenever I cranked it up, it felt like it lifts the energy up and it gives it this tension. And then when you drop it back down, it's like the release. So it's like this constant dynamic kind of like, kind of like, I don't know what it was about. I just loved it. Um, yeah. And I miss it now because I ended up selling it in place for a synthstrom deluge so or deluge people pronounce it all different ways i think it's deluge i don't know two cats so the deluge has taken over. Um, yeah, cats are like children, just really bitchy ones. <laughs> um, so the – oh, okay, that's a cute one. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. That's a nice one. Fine. Deluge, I actually saw it all the way back at launch, which I think they did – Maybe they did an Indiegogo or something like that. I think they launched like three or four years ago. And when they first came out, that was stupid cheap, like 500 bucks introductory price. Fuck, really? It was some, it, maybe it wasn't that low, but I remember it being like, re, like really reasonable. Hmm. They're an unproven entity. So I was like, oh, that's a lot of gear to sink into a tiny company in New Zealand. But who knows if this is going to be good or it's going to be a piece of shit. Um, and I ummed and art about it for ages because I had a Novation circuit at one stage, which I really liked, but it was just too limited. Um, and some really annoying things about it. Like it had a really, I really liked the synth engine in it, but every time you changed a synth preset, it has like eight, uh, macro knobs and the position is never consistent because you can map them to whatever. And all the presets, they have different positions for filter or envelope or whatever it is. So you could never learn it without actually having a goddamn screen there and watching the purpose. Um, so the deluge, I always kind of viewed as like the big brother to the circuit and could do what the circuit could do and then bags more. So it was always kind of in my head and then recently they added um, input audio looping and oh, what else did they add? They added a bunch of stuff recently because they seem to always be updating and adding shit to it. Nice. Uh, they added audio looping. I went, oh, I think it's got me because that was the one thing that I started to get the handle of with the Octatrack, which was as much as it was a bitch to set up the, the live sampling, you could get really interesting vibes by triggering this sampling and cutting a loop on the fly and then cutting to something brand new at the same time as mangling that other loop and essentially the deluge has almost got that same feature now um so i could kind of replicate that workflow in the deluge and then on top of that it has a dope built-in synth engine um it has unlimited tracks so i'd like started to run out of tracks in the octatrack being eight tracks <laughs> as a master so i only had six yeah. tracks. so now i've got more tracks i can play with if i want to doesn't mean i use them but at least i can um and it also has a cv it has midi it, so it has all of this i can't believe how much they've packed into the machine it's pretty wild um and they've just added like a usb host to it so you can just plug a different midi keyboard into it and play it oh that's cool 
That's really good. That's like in the brand new update. So I've got like a little MIDI fighter up behind me, which is a little arcade button MIDI controller. <laughs> do proper finger drumming with it if I want to. and Get your video game urges out, but musically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then essentially the, the short version of the setup is that goes into a tiny little Euro rack effects rig, which is a, a dual filter um, clouds or the expanded version, which I think is called Monsoon. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, it goes into that, then that, then a tiny little Korg Chaos Pad Mini for like ratchety, glitchy loops. Then it goes out of that into a Boss RE20 old school um, Space Echo, which just gives it like a flavor of ambience to it. Like I don't use it heavily. It's just like it's just like 10% of something. And then if I want to, when I'm playing live, I can just crank the controls up on it and get this blown out delay sound really, really quickly. Mm. Um, so anytime you get to the end of one of my tracks and you hear a little, <laughs> you know, <laughs> RE20 on the entire track, um, because I run the whole mix through it essentially. That's so, yeah. awesome. I, I remember you uh, were chatting about the song that you just put out. Also, just uh, as a side note, we're over the 40 minutes and Zoom hasn't kicked us off yet. So let's see. Yeah, I got a notification before saying the host has upgraded the minutes. Nice. Don't know how that happened, but hey, nice. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, maybe they gave me that educational uh, bonus that they've been oh, talking yeah. about forever. Anyway, um, we were chatting a while ago about uh, Made You Look. That's the, the song, isn't it? Yeah. Which is Correct. also our opening music on this is it podcast Sweet. yeah all right cool um wait i thought uh, let it fall was i think uh, i think let it falls which is the one that's got the uh don't take my son away or whatever that's it, let, let it fall so that's the end and then yep. major look is the, the slam and opening which always oh, gives don't. me a, always gives me a buzz because it's got the oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I finished recording the um you know, opening diatribe and bam, and then that sick. thing comes in, which is sick. Perfect. But we're chatting about it recently and um, talking about how you you recorded that to a stereo, just a, all mixed down, two track, com yep. mixed down to a to a two yep. track recording. Um, I'd love you to talk a little bit about like the the reason for doing that first of all, mm. and what the kind of aesthetic outcome and limitations yeah. might be um the why i did it that way is um i guess a couple of reasons all uh, that's oh made you look made you look was actually written on the op1 my little friend down here <laughs> just out of shot there we go. nice nice so it was you know a four track because that's all that's in op1 mm. but then my workflow with the op1 is because it's kind of instant as you were saying before bray um it's so quick that i would I, when i like in 2017 i got that and i wrote like a hundred tracks on it within the space of like four months because I would just like write some loops, stitch them together. Hey, I've run out of tracks, so I'd better like resample shit across each other. Hey, this sounds pretty cool. Record it onto the master recorder, save the tape reels, save the, the recording, wipe the tape, start again. So it was this really like quick process that I loved compared to In The Door, which is like, 
agonizing over tracks and agonizing over your side chain and your reverb and your EQs and looking at spectrums and all this kind of bullshit. So it was really refreshing to take me out of that overthought kind of process, kind of like I was talking about before with the Octatrack and just dumb it right down to like the basics. And then once I started performing these tunes live, I worked quite a bit, I guess just by default, because I didn't want to play shows and have it sound like hot garbage, which was real potential, real potential with like the density of the tunes that I was working on. I'm like, this could very quickly turn into hot shit. So I kind of finessed the tracks just using like the built-in effects of the Octatrack until they felt like they just locked in naturally. So like hmm. sometimes I sculpted out the EQ, sometimes I didn't, sometimes I just like took out some of the low end or some of the high end or whatever it was to make them feel like they gelled together in this like rudimentary way. And then when it gets blown through the kind of effects rig, because the effects rig adds like some saturation to it, it kind of like, it, it kept feeling finished. So I'd be playing these gigs. I'm like, these live recordings are better than the version that I've mixed. Like, I think it's, it's, it's a better version. Um, so then after I'd play, because I played um, about 14 or 15 shows last year, and the songs that I had written and then toured with, I'd written them in this like sporadic, broken up way in all these different processes, like I mentioned before. But then when I played them live, I played them all live in a similar way, which is through the Octatrack, through this effects rig. And my vocals were different live compared to in the studio, because a lot of the studio recordings I'd done it pretty quiet late at night or different microphones, or sometimes I used the built-in microphone of the OP-1 or whatever it happened to be. And then playing it live and listening to the recordings, I'm like, I, I prefer the sound of the live recording than the studio recording, which is bizarre because that was always opposite to me when I was in bands. Like live recordings sound like hot shit. Like you just have to be at the gig. Like you listen to live recording and it's garbage. Like throw it in the bin. Totally. I never heard a live recording of any band I was ever in that I'm like, yeah, I could play that to someone. I'd be happy about it. Never. <laughs> and then the very first gig that I played as, like builders bribery last year which would have been in may or june somewhere around there and it was at the oh it must have been june wait i've got it up here june it was geeks for the streets wasn't it it was june 26th that was my first oh is that my anniversary in eight days there you go (laughs) wow yeah there you go so it's almost a year that's awesome Um, yeah so that set was recorded at the Workers' Club in um, Fitzroy. Fitzroy. Yeah. Um, and I listened back to it the next day, fully expecting it to sound like shit. And I'm like, this, this sounds better than the recorded, like sounds way better than the version I've just released. Like it sounds better already. How the <laughs> fuck did that happen? <laughs> um, and then after playing a bunch of the shows last year, I got a different, interpretation of the songs as well like i learned about the arrangement just by playing them and yeah i think i told you about this at at some stage in the last couple of months or whatever is that i don't know why i approached electronic music expecting it to be a different process than what i used to do with bands which is you write a song you go and perform it you road test it and then you record it because you've learned how the song operates yeah and i did it the complete opposite i was recording at the same time i was writing in the studio and then i was playing live and then i was learning about the songs as i was road testing them i'm like shit Mm. now i have to redo these songs that's really interesting though yeah 
So I think the version of let, I think I sent you the new version of Let It Fall. It's the new version, I think. I think so. Maybe. It's got the, the really nice, um, like, it's got it a really sounds brutal like outro. A vo- yeah, it's got like the vocoded yeah. voice or something on the outro, plus yeah. the like, savage, yeah, yeah. noisy outro. Yeah, like, yeah that's, that's the new version. That's the new yeah. version. The old <laughs> version, which is still up on Spotify, it's yeah. going to get replaced soon. It's so gentle. It's so gentle and so like chill. And then I played it live. I'm like, this is a brutal doom track. Like this, yeah. this brings out some darkness. I need to capture that. So I set, set the performance rig back up. Now there's practicalities to it as well. Cause I started bundling all my gear into this big Pelican case. So I could just rock up to a gig, plop it on top, plug in two stereo outputs and I was done ready to go. Like I wanted it to not be, a huge process of like setting up this gear. Cause I think that I think it looks really shit to an audience when you're like plugging all this shit in and then you're just playing some drums and it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> you plug in 60,000 things and you're just going dish, dish, dish. It's like, what a, what a letdown. Yeah. So I wanted it to be really streamlined setting up because people are there drinking beers, watching you set up. And I wanted to come out like a ton of bricks. So I kind of, started building this live rig that then I would plonk it just behind me here. In fact, that's the case just behind me here in the shot. I would just get home and like put it back together again and think, Oh, I need to redo that section of that song cause it's not working. And I'm going to plug it into my system and just like record a couple of passes to see if it works better in this structure or whatever. And then lo and behold, I ended up liking those recordings just as much as I was liking the live recordings. And mm. as much as, you know, recording to a two track for a full instrumental is ridiculously restricting when it comes to mixing techniques. I just liked the takes better. I liked the, the spontaneity of it. And I liked the idea that if I didn't catch it, I would just do it again and I would yeah. do it again until I caught it. Now the irony is most of the time it took one take or maybe two takes hmm. and it didn't take, a lot like made you look perfect example that's a one take whole track the only wow. additional layer to that is a, a second layer of vocals it's kind of like double tracked for majority of it not all of it but majority of it and then right at the end there's a third track of like really heavily manipulated vocals the entire rest of the track all effects combined were all tracked live. Now there is an exception to that, which I did like an 8D mixing technique in the second verse where it swells around your head. It does some ambisonics hmm. that was automated. All the rest was a live cut first take. Cause I'd practiced that song live a bunch of times. So I knew how it worked. Yeah. Got in the studio. I was in a vibe. I was, there was no pressure. I'm just recording a two track. So if it fucks up, I can do it again. Hit record, bangs it out. I'm like that. This, that's the one. So, yeah, the whole that's process the, has, has changed for me dramatically. That's the kind of rustic technique that I really find attracts me to some musics. I don't know, like I wouldn't have known that just by listening to it, for yeah. example. But there's something about that. Uh, like we were talking about this a few weeks ago. Um, we were discussing sort of like intent in music and and or wasn't intent. What was the word we were using? Don't bits. remember. I don't remember yesterday. <laughs> okay. I don't remember today. This is this is great. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Bray. I'm I'm totally useless on that on that front. Perfect consistency. But, but like but, intentionality, there was some. It was this, there was a word that we were using, but I don't remember what it was. 
there was a specific energy was the word um and energy was the word and there's something about your music and other music that i'm instantly uh attracted to that i find if i go back and find the story and trace the like the history of um, music Mm. like that i'm always surprised to find that a lot of my favorite music is recorded with um a lot of the most rustic cheap or um yeah, get like inadvertently yeah. lo-fi ways yeah. and I, I like yeah that's an, an amazing thing i would never have picked it having listened to that because there's something about it that sounds so warm and so rich and mm. it's just a two track yep it's two track yeah. with and weird i had some to, exceptions yeah i did have to belt it around a bit to like <laughs> to to kind of firm it into shape, like it was lacking a bit of low end and it was a bit muddy in some parts. So I had to do a bit of sculpting in post, but it was so much, so much nicer than working with like a 16 track or God forbid, like some of the stuff I was working with um, in the hip hop group where I, I had like 110 tracks. Fuck. Trying to balance that stuff out is just logistically, it takes too long. It's, it, it takes too many dials to tweak and it sucks all the soul out of it i think it loses energy too right like yeah, to... it loses energy the more layers you add the less energy it, it can fit mm, um, yeah. and one of the things that i did find as well is that one of the things that i lost in the electronic recording process um when i was trying to multi-layer stuff is that it always feels a bit safe and it feels mm. like you know, if I mess up this little baseline playing, I can resequence that and resample it again. And it, and it felt too, in some ways, too easy. So maybe it lacked that kind of energy. And I liked the fact that when I was playing the performance rig, it just, it had the same risk as when you're playing a live gig, which is you could hit a button and completely fuck it up and you'll have to start again. Now in a live format, I've actually done that a couple of times in these gigs where I've just hit the wrong button. I'm like, cover this with my vocals and just go, yeah, and splash it with reverb and then reset and go. So that's happened a couple of times. But I like the, the idea of like, it feels like it's kind of, you know, riding by the seat of its pants a bit, like, it feels like Risk. it could break. Yeah, mm. it feels like it could fall apart, and I like that. Um, yeah. And that was the big difference between those versions of Let It Fall. The early one was really kind of gently creepy, and as I worked on it live, I'm like, this one feels like it needs to almost blow out your speakers. Like it feels like it needs to like ride on the edge of what's comfortable distortion. Mm. And then like the outro that you were talking about mm. before, Vince, like I purposely kept – the vocals, when I cut the vocals, I'm like, oh, the vocals are a bit too low and they're getting brutalized by this bass synth. But I kind of liked the fact that you had to fight to hear for it. Like mm. you had to like squint your ears, if that's a term. Like yeah. You had to concentrate on it and then you get this broken ass vocal kind of like fighting for air, trying to drag these ideas through. And I really liked that idea of how risky it was in that way. Yeah, yeah that's that. the whimsy I hear in it. Like yeah, right. uh, here in the music. Yeah. That's like, that's the fun aspect yeah. of it. And yeah, it's so, cool. so many things that become overproduced lack fun. Mm. I find like we, by, by contrast, last week we talked to no compliments, Alison Wright and her music is extremely fun. Like it's very yeah. nostalgic. It has all of this other elements to it, but the way she creates music is uh, very much different. Like it's, it's, um, it's really 
I, I don't want to say overproduced because definitely not. It's uh, well thought out and well planned. And yeah. I've seen her Very play methodical. those tunes. Yeah, I've seen her play those tunes live too. And and it also retains all of that sort of uh, dynamic live. And yep. she also plays live. I think that's the other cool. thing is uh, playing live is a is a huge thing and it's a really good way of developing and litmus testing a lot of these tracks. Yeah, um, definitely. So w- with bribery, what, like, can, so I'm guessing a year ago was your inaugural gig. Can you tell us how it went? Like what, wh- how, so, how, so I kind of, I'm kind of lying in that it was, that was my first gig. Cause I had a gig <laughs> a little bit before it a month. Uh, maybe it was April last year. And I I won an award at the end of um, 2018, which was the Adolf Spivakovsky um, oh, yeah. Award for I Electronic Music, <laughs> yeah. which I won it for this track called Waster, which I hadn't really, still haven't released. And it was the first, what I'd kind of classify as the first thing that I thought, oh, this is a new sound. This could, this could be this bribery project that I'd just spontaneously come up with. And I won this award um, and then part of the award kind of criteria or, or details was that the piece you submitted that had to be electronically based had to be able to be played by an ensemble. And then classic University of Melbourne, they were like, oh, so we'll get played by an ensemble at like a special event or something and you'll get to be like a guest of honour or some shit like that. And I was like, oh, cool, whatever. Um, and then of course, classic email, they kind of left it too late and didn't <laughs> organize an ensemble. And then when they tried, they realized it was way too difficult because the piece was way too dense and really wasn't appropriate for an ensemble at all. Um, and they, and they were like, you can play it if you want to, instead of being the guest of honor, you could be like the, <laughs> the artist, you know, of honor at this like gig night kind of thing. I was like, yeah, cool. I'll do that. Now at the time I hadn't worked out how to play this shit live at all. And I'm trying to remember the setup I had for it. I think I just got the Octa track and I just started to scratch the surface. So I was really non-confident with it, but I played, um, another track that hasn't come out yet called, um, 10 million ride. And that went really well. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then it came into waster and I'd forgotten that it's a 86 BPM track um, but it has this strange kind of hip hop pulse to it. And I'd written it slow because all of the vocals were double time. They were almost wrapped. It's the closest I've got to like melodic rapping. It's like, and it's got like these triplets and these rolls to it. And I'd done zero vocal practice <laughs> for months, months. And I was like, I know this track because I've been mixing the bejoices out of it for months. I know this track backwards and forwards. And I flopped these vocals so poorly, like <laughs> so bad. And I could see my wife up the back just like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm butchering this. And the like benefactor's son was there who'd chosen the piece. And I could see him like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when I was like, oh, I've got to write some tunes that kind of works better for my voice. I think I could probably pull that track off now that I've had mm. more kind of vocal workouts now, I suppose, but I just hadn't been practicing at the time. So that was a bit of a hot mess. <laughs> um, 
And I learned a lot between that and then playing those kind of inaugural shows where I'm like, I can't play that song. These other songs that I have in the chamber, that could work. I just need to chuck some vocals on it and that would be a really useful song. So that first gig at the Workers Club pretty much went without a hitch. Like I was surprised how smoothly it went. The only real kind of dramatic issue with it is first of all, Workers Club has a really weird setup where the stage is elevated up and it's behind this really big floor mounted sub and monitor system so you're physically too far away from the audience and you're up too high so the like pa is kind kind of hanging down too far in front of you and then it's got this big pillar so you kind of like back from the audience that's weird it's weird um so you're already a bit distant from the group right now there was i think about 70 people or something showed up which of those 70 people, I think about 50 of them were my students from <laughs> uni. So they rocked up not knowing what to expect because I hadn't shown anyone this music at all. I'd, I'd kept it pretty much all under wraps because I wasn't sure if it would work or not. I was just rolling the dice and seeing if people would dig it because I worked out that I dig it. So if I dig it, surely someone else must. <laughs> so I think they were a little nervous to be there because I'm their teacher. So they're already nervous. Then the stage is like heaps far back. And then I play this brutally dark, crunchy, glitchy music that no one I don't think really expected. And it had this like real sense of divide. Like no one quite knew how to interact. I didn't know how to interact because I was like, do I chat between songs? I don't think these, like, am I like, yeah. thanks for coming? So I, I essentially played that first set. I think there was only one break in the set um, where I, I was just like, hey, uh, nervously like, hey, th- uh, thanks, thanks for coming out. And I've, always been a, I've always been a great public speaker. I've always been good at banter, but it just didn't feel like it worked with this music. So I played almost a seamless 50-minute set without stopping and people were just like, <gasps> kind of like yeah so it was it was interesting it was an interesting what i class my first gig it was really yeah, interesting awesome. experience do you yeah. banter now i attempted it at a gig i think it was at old bar uh no not <laughs> old bar, at bar open sorry um and i was like oh i'm gonna lighten the mood a bit and after something i was like hey thanks for rocking up and people were just like that's like i've gone from this like code and like doom track to like oh get a grab yourself drink <laughs> yeah, so, yeah that's right <laughs> so and that's in, like in metallica at the rsl level banter pretty much <laughs> yeah, yeah and it And it was kind of like, it was actually one of the things that has started spurring on this visual side because um, I was also struggling to work out like, what do I wear for this shit? Like, like I I didn't, I didn't want my personal um, image or fashion to detract from the overall vibe because it's like the way I dressed wearing like shirts and jeans doesn't really merge with this like brutally glitchy, distorted, kind of doom sound and i was like i don't want to dress up in some bombastic outfit so i actually fell back onto this option that i started years ago when i built these um theremin gloves for my honors project um in uni in 2013 where i started wearing like a, a medical or like chemistry style um like pullover like a white pullover kind of like a breaking bad style like mm. laboratory pullover with a hood and um and like glasses like safety goggles kind of shit 
And I started going, well, that's about as like, it's still making a statement, like it's experimental, it's scientific, which kind of ties in with the theme of what I'm doing. But I also liked the anonymity of it. Cause it's like, you know, you rock up and it's like, who the fuck is this dude in this white coverall? And I was wearing a face mask at the time as well, like a, a regular, like breathing mask, like a COVID mask kind of thing. And I've since abandoned that because it feels really insensitive to do it. But I was essentially playing these gigs in a full boiler suit with a mask and singing through the mask because I wanted to like remove all the traces of me and my my regular everyday personality. I wanted to pull that out of the set because it didn't match with the music because I'm a goofy dickhead. And (laughs) (laughs) Vince will attest to that. And it's like my music isn't goofy dickhead it's it's for some reason really serious so Mm. kind of and as much as it has that aloof whimsy kind of character that you were saying before bray it that's not dickhead it's it's not goof (laughs) yeah no it's it's not that it's yeah yeah, it's it's not that at all (laughs) so so it, it became like working towards that visual aesthetic of anonymity and like merging myself as a person like pushing it into the art and like blending it um at the same time have you seen the movie annihilation no it's based based on a book it's got nally portman in it it's on netflix it's a so-so movie like the there's some acting in it that's just insanely questionable Hmm. but the basic premise is that this kind of dome thing called the shimmer starts mutating people's dna and it starts blending people in with the environment and there's this, um, there's this really cool part, this scene. I won't give too much away, but essentially they're going through this part and they're finding all these like kind of bodies, but they've been turned into things. And it's this body that's been like a skeleton that's been kind of pulled apart in this really organic plant-like way. And it's scattered across this wall with all these flowers and vines intertwined in it. And I loved the idea of that as a concept in terms of how my voice, for instance, which is the only traditional element that I've pulled through, how I try and make the voice blend in with all this electronic instrumentation. And that started becoming like this through theme for the overall visual aesthetic as well. Like, can I push myself into the overall body of art rather than being like a face in front of the art, I suppose? That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I love how that's... That's one thing that I never really think about as much um, is like stagecraft and how yep. my music um, is part of that. I think I've I've been I mean I grew, basically grew up musically playing in things like big bands and brass bands and th- things like that where it's very regimented. You know, you wear your tie, you wear your hat yep. on the street, and you have your pleats and your fucking epaulets. It's Bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> but anti rock and roll right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Nothing beats playing like abide with me with a fat rock beat behind it in a brass band yep. wearing epaulets. It's <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and a clip on tie and a clip yep. on tie. Yeah, that's the epitome but, of um, sex appeal right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know that wipe yeah. on sex appeal that you always see in like <laughs> yeah. service station bathrooms? Like, what is yeah, exactly. wipe on sex appeal? <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how that got any reputation whatsoever. But anyway, <laughs> like wipe on sex different appeal. Podcast, different podcast. <laughs> different podcast. Different, definitely for a different time. Um, but yeah, the, like the stagecraft element of it is really interesting, especially when you you put in the fact that there's it's like a it's now more of an experience or um, mm. as a performance 
than it is just a, it's not a, a live music performance. It's not a live multimedia performance. It's a, so it's, there's theatrics in it now if you yeah. have a costume and you're using the stage in, in a way. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's, that's something that I'd, I'm starting to think I've got to take away and develop myself as well. So, <laughs> me, me too, actually. Fine. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I've, 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 I've always just relied, my stagecraft my whole life has relied on me being six, nearly six and a half feet tall and really big. Yep. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it, it's commanding of a stage in a sense that, you know, I tower over most band people I'll be playing with. And you're the same, Mitch. Like you're, mm. you're tall, but so, so uh, it's. And now doing electronics, you know, I'm sitting behind a table, like yeah, like it's just not in. as interesting. Yeah, so it's interesting and to. to I mean, that. my stagecraft in the band days was I had long blonde hair that went almost down to my waist, and I'm six foot three. So it's that same idea of like just by definition, you command a bit of attention. Yeah. Just because you're a giant hairy beast, yeah. and like. <laughs> I used to headbang on stage in the groups that I was in, and in, it was instant stagecraft. It was, it was like a novelty gimmick. It was instant yeah, win. Absolutely. And then coming into electronic music, I, I kind of had to like work my way through what worked. And I think one of the things that kind of helped me work that out was um, just like scouring YouTube for different electronic performances and seeing what I thought was interesting. And I've found so many things that I thought was the complete opposite or I thought it was naff or I, I thought it just looked tacky like I remember coming across one like live performance somewhere I have no idea what it was or where it was or whatever but they had these live projections on top of the performers and I think they were playing with modular gear or whatever so they had a VJ doing these crazy visuals on the person that was playing and they're playing their gear up on this stage and it had this really cool aesthetic and all the people that got up were just wearing regular t-shirts and with like <laughs> regular like brands and it just was such a mismatch because it's like you look like you could just be walking down the street and getting a coffee and you're playing this like deep IDM with these incredible visuals and this incredible audio and you don't look like you fit like mm. yeah. and then at the same time I started seeing things like um Flying Lotus he plays in like this veil cube dome thing and it, and it seems to be a bit of a thing in the broader spectrum of electronic music to to look at anonymity like we can look at the really obvious examples like dead mouse wearing the helmet and daft punk wearing the helmets mm. like this idea of making yourself into a character that somehow connects with the music i think i attached to those ideas but i didn't want it to be as quite overt as that maybe it will transfer into something that is as obvious as that at, at this stage i like the fact that it's more immersive i think mm. um but it, it was mm. for me i've always been really sensitive about stagecraft as well and i i remember i was actually just telling someone this story the other day i can't remember who it was um about back in the day playing bands i used to hate because i was in like shitty dirty cock rock bands and punk bands and I used to hate the idea of rocking up to these dive bars that we were playing and people would go set up their gear and then they'd change into a nice shirt before they played. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> like you're playing in a shitty oi punk band, but you changed your shirt to play. Like that's the antithesis of the music that you're playing. It doesn't make yeah. sense to put on nice clothes and then finish your set and then put your regular clothes back on. I'm like, you should just wear your regular clothes. Like shouldn't, 
you should be living this vibe. Otherwise, it felt really false. And the epitome of that was I was playing a, a band final for this like local band comp that was run by the Steelworks. This was in the Illawarra. And it was the only like big gig that you could play as an up and coming band. And you could play like the entertainment center in the final. And this particular final was at this kind of beige venue called Waves in Wollongong. Um, they had like a 1500 person capacity. So it was like way bigger than any of the shitty bars that I'd ever played. And it was so grossly over prepared. Like if you're a finalist, and I think there was like 12 bands or finalists or some shit like that. You had, and so it was like classic battle of bands, like there's heats and, and there's finals or whatever the shit it was. And you had to rock up at the venue at 10 o'clock in the morning for like dress rehearsals and sound check and all of this shit. And I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like we're just playing, <laughs> we're playing a 15 minute set. Like this is so overblown, but because there was budget involving yada, yada, yada. And I said to the other two guys in the band that I was in at the time, I was like, whatever you rock up in at 10 o'clock in the morning, that's what we're playing the gig in because I can guarantee that everyone's going to fluff through the day and then they're going to like switch on the charm for the gig. And that is so disingenuous for the type Mm. of music that everyone is playing. I hate that. Like if someone's playing something really theatrical and they want to put on an outfit, cool, but they're all fucking rock bands. Like they're all indie Mm. bands. So exact exactly that happened we rocked up i was like make sure you wear clothes that you're comfortable playing on stage with whatever it happens to be and we wore the same clothes all day and then we played the set wearing the same clothes everyone else got changed now the best thing about it was that the band that ended up winning they're all these young bucks um from out um kind of in the country and they all put on full suits to play and it kind of suited the music but at the same time, it was a bit disingenuous. And their bass player, this guy called Coop, came up to me afterwards and he was the only one that had pointed out, he's like, I can't believe you guys played your set wearing the same clothes that you guys had worn all day. That shit was badass. Like, that was sick. That you guys were the only group that didn't get changed. That was so rock and roll. And the funny thing about it was he left that band to join the band later on. So he ended up being part of the band for about a year. Interesting. Um, Because he he liked that vibe. But so I've always had this kind of aversion to to some kind of stagecraft that doesn't connect to the music because it feels disingenuous. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't mean you can't go over the top. Like if you look at someone like... Um, you know, like Kate Miller Heidke, like I don't really know her shit that well, but she always has this bombastic look, which makes sense to the music. Like it makes totally. sense that it matches the stagecraft. Now with electronic music, it's kind of difficult because it's like, what are you going to do? Dress up like a fucking circuit board? Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, it's all good and well to say, you know, look in some way like you connected to the music, but how do you connect with electronic music? So it's got this 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 weird challenge to it that's, not really obvious and one i think one of the easiest ways to do it is not fucking be visible or be a bit anonymous or like even like the tool concerts that came out um tool came out at the start of the year or whatever it was i got a um, Mm. ticket for my birthday and it's like they play the first 20 minutes or half an hour of their set behind this giant led curtain and it's and i mean maynard's been notorious for that forever like playing at the back with a veil and all this kind of shit and I always yeah. liked that idea that it, it kind of makes the music more important than the members in some yeah. way. And it kind yeah. of takes some of the ego out of it or something. 
I don't know. So I've in terms kind of, of it, liked that. Yeah, in terms of audio visual and that performance in particular, that tool performance, I was there as well. Yeah, and it like that felt more like a complete performance as well. Yeah, like it it and I mean Adam Jones, the guitarist from Tool, is uh, like a graphic art or well, a visual artist yep. as well, and has worked on like many movies and things like that. So I think he has that kind of same aesthetic for it. Yeah, but then the way he dresses and the way he presents himself on stage, he doesn't like a regular jump around like a dickhead. <laughs> He's just a yeah. regular fucking dude. Yeah. And I love that about him. Like yep. the most rock and roll thing about Adam Jones, other than be, him being who he is, is basically the fact that he has shoulder length hair and he's yep. in his forties. Um, like that's, that's, that's the aesthetic. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everything else is just like, it just looks like a walk in the park. <laughs> yep. But he's playing to packed crowds. It's I love that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. That makes music feel genuine to people. Yeah. And and that's the thing that um that I I think electronic music already has a problem with being genuine because you a lot of the time you have an audience that doesn't know if you've just pressed play or if you're actually doing what it looks like you're doing. Yeah. So like that's that's there's already a barrier there because it's like you know, are you hot knobbing or are you sequencing on the fly? Or if you're sequencing on the fly, are you really sequencing anything or you're just practicing a sequence you've made before? Like what's the balance between input versus output? And that's already a challenge in itself. And when you, so when you already take this air of like, you know, it already has some elements of disingenuity to it because you are playing some pre-prepared stuff like like i'm playing some stems and then adding stuff to it and adding effects on the fly so it's already got this air of like oh this has kind of been like it's kind of false in itself already it's already like something artificial about it so it's kind of like how do you blend the artificiality with something that can still be connected with because if it's too artificial how the fuck is anyone going to connect with it they're they're not because they're not artificial right so it's kind of like it's a challenge i think for all electronic musicians to work out how to how to connect with an audience for the music perspective and the stagecraft perspective and the aesthetic perspective and then the performance aspect like are you focusing too much on your gear and you're not interacting in any way shape or form Mm. and you should or are you trying to interact too much and you should be doing more performance playing it's like it's all fluid. It's like yeah. trying to work through that challenge is really difficult, and I think a lot of the time it's too difficult, and people go, ah, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get up with my regular old shit, and I'm just gonna play some tunes, and it's gonna be what it's gonna be," which is also perfectly valid. There's there's nothing wrong with that. I think I just looked at that and I was like, I want to take that idea and I just want to push it further. I want to see mm. where I can take this. Um, yeah, I guess. It's introducing, introducing <laughs> risk. <laughs> it seems yeah. like a lot, you know, part of the connection there is that introdu- introduction of risk at a performance level. Yeah. And provides a connectivity. There, you yeah. Know. And trying to make it interesting. Like the, after the first run of shows I played last year, that feeling that I got the workers club of like disconnecting from the audience. I was like, this is like, how do I get this connection back that I used to feel with a band really obviously because you'd be standing right up against people uh. and you'd make eye contact with them 
and it kind of feels creepy to make eye contact with people with bribery tunes because it, it just doesn't seem to be eye contact kind of music, right? It feels weird, like screaming, don't take my son away while you're looking someone in the eyeballs. Like it's, that's wrong. That's like, it's like some yeah. kind of verbal assault, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I played these shows and I was like, how can I like, it, it felt like I was forever behind the fourth wall, which in some ways I liked it, but in some ways it, you know, I, I might, I played this gig down in, um, fuck, where was it? Down in Footscray somewhere. And it was this tiny little PA system and it was in this wine bar. So in between songs, as it got quiet, I could hear people like just chitter chattering at the bar. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want people chitter chattering at the bar. Like I, I, I want everyone to be like, Holy fuck. Like I can't take my eyes off this. And not in a narcissistic way. It was just like, this should be an experience that you want to engage with mm. if you're there. So I'm doing something wrong in the presentation of this. Like I want it so that they can't not, they can't look away. Like they have to, it's like a car crash. Like you've got to watch it, right? So then the next time I went back and played at the workers club, I had this really straightforward idea that I'd pulled directly from boiler rooms that I found on YouTube because I'd watched all these boiler room performances, which lots of them are just general performances. And there's this one I really love by this German producer, Vince. I think I've sent it to you at one stage, a guy called David August. Mm. It's one of the like most watched boiler rooms of all time. And ironically, this guy's wearing just like a t-shirt and jeans. So he's like, mm-hmm. looking normal. But the thing that I liked about it and what's very common with boiler rooms is that the performer is in the middle of the audience and they're not like on a giant pedestal like you see with yeah. electronic gigs like facing down at the dance floor or whatever. It's like they're amongst the crowd. And at the same time, I found this guy called Dan. Shit, it's right on the tip of my tongue. It's either, <laughs> it's either Dan Deacon or Dan Tedesco. And one of them is like this kind of hipster looking dude with a beard and like this tiny little flap hat. That's the guy I'm talking about. He's got a KEXP performance that I kind of stumbled across. And then I found this footage of him playing massive summer festivals somewhere (laughs) in the States, somewhere in America. And he has all of his gear in a Pelican case, kind of like the one I've got up behind me. And instead of sitting, setting up on the stage at the festivals, he would set up in the mosh pit and just like, turbo around him and he's making kind of i don't really know how to describe it it's almost like it's almost like 8-bit kind of wow retro nintendo-y sounds but then he does like these vocals over the top that are really kind of yelly vocals i suppose and i'm watching this footage i'm like wait this guy's playing electronic music in the mosh pit like i've seen bands do when they like jump in the mosh and they play in it it's like why the fuck am i putting myself up on a stage like no wonder there's a disconnect so the second gig I play at the workers club, I set up bang in the middle of the floor. So then I wouldn't have that issue of the disconnect and I, and to work my way or around the feedback. Cause I was like, how am I going to get away from the feedback loop from the PA? I actually faced the stage. So huh. I set up smack bang in the middle of the floor and everyone kind of like turned around and, like, what? <laughs> and everyone just naturally kind of like circled the desk so you'll see these pictures on my Instagram of me wearing the boiler suit and the mask with like these orange stripes across mm. me. There's like I posted a bunch of pics from this one particular gig because the only lighting we used was a really bright light under my legs facing up. 
and then the projector, which had these kind of images that were pulled from my Instagram, projected onto my boiler suit as kind of like a, I was kind of the projector screen. And immediately I was like, oh, this is the first time people have gotten within two feet of me playing because otherwise they're like 20 feet away and all of a sudden they have to be there. They have yeah. to be next to me. And it immediately oh. made me go, oh, like the way to immerse people into this music is to immerse myself into the people. Like, yeah, that makes so much no sense. It feels disconnected when I'm physically disconnected from the audience, but mm. if I'm no longer physically disconnected, it kind of forces the immersion. It, it's yeah. kind of like your the audience becomes part of the performance. That's really cool. Um, mm. And even though for the whole gig, they just stood there and watched and were like, Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> that was better than them being 20 foot away in the dark where I couldn't see them because yeah. the stage lights. So they're in the stage lights too. They And I, I noticed like people like looking at what I was doing like on the gear because they were like, oh, he's moving some knobs. What the fuck does that do? And then trying to like put it together or trying to understand. So like, I kind of hammed up the movements a bit. Like one of the things I love to do, which you'll hear all over my tracks now, because it's all tracked through the same rig, is a like a sweeping, like quick high pass filter that goes wow. It has like a wow sound. You can hear it all the <laughs> way through the intro. Maybe look, it's like wow. And it's a resonant high pass filter with a delay attached to it. So as soon as you trigger it, it starts to add this ping pong delay that's really, really quick. And it has this resonance as well. So it kind of like lifts everything up and almost says, wow, it almost is like a vocal forming filter. Almost. And I started like really like cranking my elbow when I was playing it. And I could see people starting to like point at it and they're like, oh, he's doing, he's making that sound. Like he's doing that lot. Like that's not pre-prepared shit. Like he's doing that. And I was like cranking up the use because I was, I had the OP one on the, on the stage set up at the time as well. So I was like adding sense to it and purposely mangling parameters, probably beyond what I usually would, but they could see it. So um. they could see the screen. They could see the cow on the screen. They could see <laughs> the colored knobs and they could see me holding like a button down, see me twisting the knobs and then hear the result instead of it, you know, me behind a desk when they can't see yeah. what the fuck is going on. So it was kind That's of, you know, terribly obvious that the way to involve them in the music was to involve the music with them. Mm. I suppose that, that's so reminiscent of, did you catch um, the opening act for tool author and punisher? No, I missed it, but I, I have watched some of his stuff before. Yeah. That's like Brutal. that, that overtly like all the triggers, like the MIDI triggers that he's built. So uh, yeah, all the metal shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, like, it, like it's all gl glorified MIDI triggers. Yeah. But I, lo because I love it that it shows him, like he explains the rig and he's like, yep, I manufactured this and I engineered all these slides. It's like, oh, what does it do? It's like, yeah, maps to Ableton. It's like, oh, is this a launch pad? Is that what you tell him? And how he can only do like the one drum beat, which is like, gish, yeah, gish. it's kind of like as much <laughs> dexterity as it can get out. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see. It's it is like a wanky glorified launchpad, but at the yep. same time, I love that he's created. It's great. Like, yeah, the, that's the best thing about it. You know. Yep. Um. So, Mitch, we usually end the podcast by asking each other. Yeah, I've carried on. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's okay. Um, I was going to say we probably need to wrap it up sometime because you've got a you've got a live stream yes. coming up. 
Yep. Um, what, what, what's, what's captured your ears this week? Has there been something you've been listening to that's been uh, really inspiring or um, something that you've just dedicated a lot of time to listening to? Um, I, I should preface this by saying I'm... It took me years to work out and relieve myself of the guilt of this this feeling, I suppose. I am a horrible, horrible consumer. Horrible. The worst. Like, I am so behind the eight ball, always have been. Um, I'm, I'm not an active scourer of new music. I'm not an active scourer of old music. I'm not an active scourer of music. And it, it actually took me years to get over the guilt of that, especially, like, back in the rock band days where... Yeah. Uh, oh, you have to go back and listen to, like, all of the classic Rolling Stones records? I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) And I used to feel really guilty about it because I'm like, oh, I feel like I have to for the right journey of it. And that's when I realised, and this is going to be, like, the ultimate wank, right? I realised that I'm a producer. My job is to make. Like, I'm I'm the maker. It's it's not my role to just consume. That's the consumer's Mm. job. And that doesn't mean I'm not a consumer, because of fucking course I am. But I I get ma- way more joy out of making shit. And it took me years to work out that that's what I really like to do. So I, I prefer to make shit. So like, I actually went the entire day today, as I was like doing like I worked today. But in the times where I wasn't actively teaching or acting, I didn't have any work on that. And I actually realised that something. I'm like, I'm only gonna open Spotify today, and I haven't. Like, I didn't need music today, because I was making other shit, I was looking at visuals, I was looking at my TV, and all that kind of shit, so I was in the making process. Now, that said, um, I have been getting into the latest Run the Jewels record, so that's kind of the one that's been coming across my radar, because I'm a massive Run the Jewels fan. Um, they're one of the groups that, um, I guess, bridge the gap for me between... They allowed me to bridge into hip-hop because I never used to connect with hip-hop at all. I just didn't get it. It wasn't part of my upbringing. It wasn't part of my circle. So I never really liked it. I never found a way to connect with it. And that was the first group where I, for some reason, did. Um, so they dropped a record. I think last week or maybe the week before. So I've been vibing with that. RTJ4? Is that the dog? RTJ4, yeah. Yeah, sick. So that's... The, the track I would recommend is called Holy Kalamafuck. I was just looking at that. <laughs> because it has a thing that the producer LP does on a bunch of their tracks and I love it he switches song about a minute in so it's like oh, that's cool. it's one song and then it, it hard cuts to another song in the midst of that song changes beat somehow feels like it's tied together but it flips like it just flips and it turns into this brutal kind of broken really stripped back minimal beat that's really different to the first kind of minute, minute and a half or whatever. So I've been vibing with that hard. Um, aside from that, that's kind of the main stuff I've been vibing with. Again, I'm a terrible consumer. I'm terrible when it comes to um, anything that that's difficult listening as well. Like in some of the other side projects that I do, I make some fairly difficult listening IDM kind of music. And I never listen to that style, ever. Like, never. Like, I don't listen to Aphex Twin. I don't listen to Orteca. I don't listen to those classics. Not because I don't like them, but I just don't like sitting around and just listening to them. I prefer to listen to some... I I like listening to structured music, I suppose. Um, Which, I guess, 
I don't, I don't know. I just like listening to structured music, even though I don't necessarily make yeah structured music. I'm, I'm a bit of the same. Composed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I like making that kind of stuff, but I just don't seem to engage with other people's version of it. I suppose. Mm. I don't know. It's kind of like I see it in some ways of. I love spaghetti bolognese, right? I loved my mum's spaghetti bolognese growing up. I love the spaghetti bolognese that I now make. I don't really like eating other people's spaghetti bolognese. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I like the one that I make, but just because I like spaghetti bolognese doesn't mean I'm going to eat everyone else's spaghetti bolognese. I'm really stretching this analogy, but it's like if we replace spaghetti bolognese with IDM. It's like I enjoy the IDM I make for whatever reason doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to eat somebody else's. Yeah, I yeah. feel that. God damn, there is no worse smell than going to like a shade fridge or something and somebody's put spaghetti bolognese in there. Like yeah, even if it's boy. good and it's cold, it's just like, yep. oh, it's my God. It's never the same. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like a fart. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Um, Bray, I I didn't get to ask you any recommendations on music this week. I forgot to ask you last week. I was very rude. Oh man, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, I've been listening to. Actually, there is something I've been listening to. I've been listening to Ambrose Akamuziri's. Uh, latest release, which is called, uh, I'll have to look it up, but it's, he's just like a phenomenal trumpet player. Like he's oh, fucking yeah. incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So I've been listening to that a whole heap. And uh, the other thing I was listening to is um, some old Peter Evans stuff with Sam Pluto on electronics, which is kind of um, really cool. Uh, Sam Pluto is really interesting. If you haven't, if you happen to check him out um, again, difficult listening. So, awesome. yeah. so I'll hate it Can is be. what you're telling me. <laughs> Man, um, you, you won't know until you try, but I, I'm going to guess it might be like eating my spaghetti bolognese. So, yeah, right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Or eating farts you, really when you think about it. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, not much. I, I did a bit of a band camp buy on some stuff that I've been putting off for a while, but a, a guy that I know from Sydney, released this little album called, 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 his name's James Hazel. Um, he released an album called Concessions for My Father um, on a label or like an impression called Precarious Texts, but it's just through his like band camp. Um, it's, I, I, it's fucking amazing. It's all like tape loop based stuff and like synths and it's cool. really lo-fi and really warbly and, violent but gentle at the same time it's great um but i was what really caught me about it and i think i sent you a, a link to the book um bray is i was going to read it and forgive my terrible pronunciation but um dedicated to the tender memory of worker poet Zhu Lishi, who worked at the foxconn factory making parts for electronic devices such as smartphones in abject and horrendous working conditions Zhu sadly took his own life while working at this factory. His powerful poems were composed with near no resources, no leisure time and no luxury of bourgeois psychosubjective actualization. In his poem, I Swallowed an Iron Moon, he shares his material reality with us, saying, in an honesty I had never heard before, quote, I swallowed an iron moon, they called it a screw, 
I followed industrial waste, swallowed rather, swallowed industrial wastewater and unemployment forms, bent over machines, our youth died young. I swallowed labor, I swallowed poverty. And like the whole thing is like this trivial source. Yeah. So wow. difficult listening. <laughs> yep. But difficult reading. Yeah, conceptually um really interesting too. And and the the whole thing is just like musically it sounds abject for lack of a better mm. word. It's just awesome. So that's my it's crazy. My listening. But yeah it's all tape tape based and awesome. not tape based. So I feel like you might like it. If you, yeah, yeah. I, I perfectly <laughs> broke my tape machine last night trying oh, to like no. change some. A spring just bounced out of it. I'm like, don't know where that goes. Don't, don't quite <laughs> yeah. have the time to pull it apart and find out where that spring goes. I saw you. Did yeah. you end up getting that Yamaha um, four track that was on? No, Aussie Wiggles fucking, or something. Fucking guy. I'm like, I'll come pick it up. And he's like, cool. And then I went back to work and I messaged him like an hour later. I'm like. Hey man, where can I where can I pick it up? Like I can come grab it now. And he's like, "Well, sorry, I sold it." I'm like, motherfucker! <laughs> we just li- we lined this sale up. You said you've got it. I'm like, cool. Give me your bank details. I can send you some money. Then I'll come pick it up. And he's like, yeah, cool. An hour later, he's like, sorry, it's sold. I'm like, motherfucker! <laughs> uh, it's probably for the best. Probably for the best. I've got too much gear. I always kind of like. I always, I always have to remind myself as much as I'm a, an absolute gear fiend is that the more time I spend on gear, the more it makes my profession a hobby because it's like you become yeah. a hobbyist tinkerer. So mm. I'm, I'm trying to like minimize my tinkering. Ironically, I broke my tape machine last night tinkering with it because the more, <laughs> more time I spend tinkering, the less time I spend just making tunes, which is the thing that I yeah. really enjoy. So I, I yeah. always have to balance it out and I'm coming out of like a big, gear phase having done all this video shit and it's like now i've got to kind of refocus back on the art i suppose yeah awesome yeah should we leave it there then that's a Good perfect place to end yeah. yeah thanks so much yeah. Mitch. this is thanks for having awesome me guys chat. yeah no worries Much appreciate it sorry yeah. i just carried on for any listeners out there sorry about the tone of my voice for an hour of this hour and a half this, this will be the longest episode you <laughs> have, <I think. laughs> perfect perfect uh, it's just fine i don't mind the the extended explanations they gave lots of lots of detail so oh, i'm good. into it um, yeah, anything, awesome. anything you want to and if our listen and if our listeners aren't go fuck yourselves no i'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I, won't, I won't take that out in post either um, yeah, is, yeah, I know. is there anything that uh, you want to plug mitch uh yeah grab made you look from any platform um any platform where you stream music, look up, uh, look up bribery, made you look, you'll find the new single available. Check out my Instagram page at this is bribery. You'll see some live streaming. You'll see some analog glitch. You'll see some craziness. You'll see all that shit. I've also got uh, IDM EP dropping next week under a different name. And then I've got a lo-fi hip hop record dropping in three weeks time under a different name again. So what are those names? Lo-fi Stro is the one that's coming out next week. Um, so that's that's coming out on Wednesday. There's a four-track EP coming awesome. out called Waves Upon Waves. And then two weeks after that, there is a, a beat tape by um, another alias called Slacktivist. And uh, that record Slacktivist. is called Love Slactually. Because <laughs> all of the names are stupid puns. <laughs> oh God, I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it's all they're all they're all OP one beats on that one, so it's yeah, all cool. dirty, lo-fi, nasty radio sampled bullshit on that one. Love it. 
Yeah. Awesome, so, Mitch. Thank awesome. you so Thanks much, you guys. Have a great live stream tonight. I'll try and tune in. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. See you, dude.